says, Lord, it's good that we're here. So I'm glad that I'm here. How about you? Uh, I have been looking forward to this ever since T.A. contacted me. And uh, again, the words of Peter, Second Peter 3, 12, I think it is. Uh, eagerly waiting, hastening, just couldn't wait to get here. Uh, and then I realized that uh, I do have kinfolk here, and so I might want to back up a step or two, okay? Um, and then I get here, and uh, I'm in trouble with the elders. I mean, I hadn't been here 30 minutes. I'm in trouble with the elders. They want to know about how much space Mark's going to need to store the Bible camp stuff. So, you know, T.A., I may just leave, you know, <laughs> while I'm ahead. But now, I appreciate the opportunity being with you this evening. Uh, I like the Tuesday evening format. That's a good deal. Uh, do I have to go tomorrow night at Russell? Since I come tonight, I, I, yeah, I probably will go. Um, speaking in your summer series, it's, it's an honor and it's a privilege to be here. Uh, the topic that's assigned me is something about child rearing, bringing children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I believe that was a topic. And you know, when I was approached with the invitation and given that topic... I thought, well, they probably want me because of my years of experience as a parent. You know, come Monday, I will be a parent for 42 years. My oldest daughter turns 42. Got another daughter to be 39 in September. Uh, so I thought, that's, that's why they wanted me to speak on this topic. Because, you know, 42 years, you know, that's pretty good, you know, I think. Still around, still being a parent to a 42-year-old. And then I thought, nah, that's not it. It's because I've been a grandparent come October for 22 years. See, if I had it to do all over, I'd do the grandparent thing first. <laughs> Those of you who are grandparents understand that. I'm, I'm a much better grandparent than I think I am a parent. I've done a better job maybe with the grandkids than I do with my own kids. And so I was feeling pretty good about myself, you know. They want my experience, my expertise, and all this good stuff. Because, you know, I deal with kids at camp, and I know how to deal with every child and every problem that they have and how to discipline. I mean, I'm just the perfect camp director. I thought I'd get one amen, but I didn't get any. <laughs> and then Stacy Peters comes up to me, and she said, well... I guess you can blame me. I'm the one that told them they ought to invite you to come to the summer series. So I, I guess I'm just here because you threw my name in the hat. But I am honored to be here. And we're going to talk about uh, child rearing, parenting, whatever you want to, want to call it, I guess. Um, we're going to look at one verse in the Bible. By the way, I, probably the best book that I know on parenting is this book I hold in my hand. I've read... I don't know how many books I have read on parenting. Uh, I've even had classes on a graduate level. I know y'all don't believe that. You surely won't believe it after I finish. On, on marriage and family therapy. You know, I'm, I mean, I've got credentials. I've got years of experience, Bradley. I mean, i got all the stuff, but this is the best book there is. As a matter of fact, there's one sentence in here that we're going to look at that you can call what someone called it, child rearing in one verse. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 a little bit, and this verse here, Ephesians 6, verse 4, and we're going to end up in Genesis chapter 5. Now we're going to go from 
Marshall, are you with me? We're going to go from Ephesians 5 and 6 back to Genesis 5 and 6. T.A. has already told me I can preach until midnight. It's going to take a while to go from Ephesians all the way back to Genesis, right? That's several thousand years for us to get back that far, but we'll get there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, I'm reading from the ESV, says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You maybe have that memorized in your head, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord like I do. Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. To do that, you've got to use this book. Best book that's ever been written on parenting. The best book's ever been written on rearing children. And the reason I say that is because camp we studied Second Timothy. Uh, this book that's God-breathed, inspired by God, it's profitable for what? Uh, it's, this is the class night, I think. Can y'all talk? Do y'all ever speak in class? Okay. Profitable for what? Doctrine. I heard somebody doctrine. What's the second thing? Reproof, third thing. In what? Instruction in righteousness or training in righteousness, one translation said. That instruction or training in righteousness, you know what that covers? Anything you do in life, especially parenting, especially raising children. Uh, instruction in righteousness. This tells us what will work. If we'll just read it. Instruction in righteousness. This book will tell us what will work in our homes, with our children, with us as individuals. Now I know what won't work. Y'all ever heard of a guy named Mark Twain? You ever heard his uh, philosophy on parenting? He says, what you do when they turn 13? If you've got teenagers or had teenagers, you're going to, you can relate to this. By the way, we're talking about parenting tonight. You may be here and say, well, my kids are already grown, so what? You may be here and say, well, you know, I've I only got grandkids. That's wonderful. You need to learn some things because you've got to keep raising your kids. You've got to keep raising your grandkids. I don't know that you ever finished, T.A. I mean, I haven't. Don't want to, like being involved in them. Uh, I mean, you might not even have any kids. Let me tell you what. The way people are raising kids is going to impact your life. So you need to learn some things. We're all here in this together because rearing kids is everybody's business. We're all in the kid rearing business, by the way. Whether we've got kids or they're grown kids or they've gone away from home or you don't have any kids, we're all impacted by kids and, and rearing them up. Anyway, Mark Twain said, what you do when they're 13 years old, you take them and you put them in a keg. You nail the lid on the keg. And you feed them through a knot hole in the keg. Okay? You, you with me so far? You got a teen, That's where you put teenagers in a barrel. Okay? Nail the lid on and just feed them through the hole. When they turn 16, you plug up the hole. <laughs> I don't think that'll work. Right? You don't think it'll work either, do you? Well, I know you couldn't get enough food through the hole to feed a teenage boy anyway. But uh, that, that won't work. But here's what will work. Uh... Paul writes here, he says, bring them up. That for word, bring them up, is a word, that's, uh, is a word that means nurture. It's, it's the word picture that goes with that word, bring them up, is of a mother bird feeding her little baby birds in the nest. Do, do you get that? Bring them up. The nurturing. 
taking that from taking that child from an infant and raising them up and growing them up a mother bird but the irony here is who is Paul talking to he says fathers fathers don't provoke your children to wrath or to anger but you fathers you bring them up the primary responsibility of child rearing is on the shoulders of fathers What's wrong with society today? Dads have relinquished their responsibility to be the spiritual leader in the home. Dads, I'm talking to us first and foremost. We are responsible for child rearing. It's a command of God. It's not an option. Now I know, I've got enough sense to know, common sense to know that you can't do that by yourself. You've got to have a good wife, a good mother to do that. You've got to delegate some of that because we're just dumber than dirt sometimes when it comes to raising kids. So you get some help. Delegation is not dumping. Does that make sense? Delegation said we're working in this together. And what we're looking at here, when you back up several verses in, in, in Ephesians 5... That's where we're really going to start. You back up and and you learn some things here about what God expects of his children. Children who are to walk as children of light. What the verses preceding this admonition here, this commandment to rear up children, to nurture children, to to nourish them and grow them up. What precedes this is a spirit-filled home. Now the responsibility is on the father. You're going to have to have mom to help. And you're going to have to have a home that is filled with God's Holy Spirit. That's filled with God's Word. Because the Spirit's connected with the Word. And when you back up a few verses and you start reading here in Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse number 8. Walk as children of light. The last part of that verse. Look down at verse number 18. Here's where child rearing all begins. Do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What Paul is doing here is painting a picture of a home, of a home that is trying to walk in the light, as John writes in 1 John chapter 1. A home that is filled with God's Word, God's Holy Spirit, directed by God's Holy Spirit. A home that is filled with submission to one another, and especially, first and foremost, to God himself. Kids, are you listening? Is this where the kids sit over here? This is the kids' wing right here. I like that when children sit down front. Young people, excuse me. You're our children, though. Mom and dad trying their best to live that spirit-filled life. Children, you got some responsibilities in this child-rearing thing. Dad, you're first and foremost. Mom, you're the, you're the helpmate. You're fulfilling your God-given role. Kids, you got a, a, a role in this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, that word children is a Greek word that means not little babies. Can mean little babies. Can mean... Toddlers can mean teenagers, can mean, you know, if, if you're three or 23, if you're living at home, if you're eating the groceries, if you're sleeping under the roof, 
if you're using the bathroom, if you've got laundry service that your mom's still doing, or even if you're doing your own laundry, children, obey your parents. Do you hear me? 3, 23, 9, or 49. Need to be kicked out by the time you're 49, surely. Or you want them out anyway, don't you? Obey. The children, we have, as children, we have the responsibility to obey. Uh, my dad will be 91 in September. And my mom will be 91 too. Uh, if my dad wanted me to do something, I don't live at home. Although I'd like to because my mom treats me like I'm a, just the most wonderful thing on the face of the earth. But if he told me to do something, you know what I'm going to do? I don't live at home. I'm going to obey. If you want the expert on child rearing, it's not me. There's another Herman James. He's Charles Herman James. I'm Jack Herman James. He's the expert. I would obey him. You know why I would obey him? Because I respect him, number one, as much as any person on the face of the earth. And number two, because God says you obey your parents. And I'm like, let's see, I'm, am I over 50? Yeah, I'm over 50. I'm over, yeah, 60. Wow. I got a birthday in September. I'm not going to tell you how old I'm going to be. I'm not going to be 91, though. Uh, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Bring them up. Um, I do have enough experience. I don't know if I have any expertise. I have enough experience to know that one of the flaws of American society is we're letting children bring up parents. Just an observation I'm making. Uh, how many times did I hear, well, they just didn't want to do that. And? What's that got to do with anything? They just didn't want to do it. Who is the... My daughter, my 42-year-old daughter, my 13-year-old grandson, my number two grandson, so I can't remember what the situation was, and she said something that he didn't want to do, and I said, whoa, wait a minute. Who's the parent? You missed something here. See, I'm still parenting this 42-year-old. You're the mama. You tell him what to do, and he'll do it. I can get him to do stuff. Um... Uh, Bring, don't let the children bring you up as a parent. And I think the provoking to anger here, provoking to wrath, probably the, the biggest source of that is the frustration that comes when we let children be the parents. When we let children make all the, young people, I love you. I mean, I've spent 463 years at Bible camp. That ought to tell you something, how much I love kids. It just seems like it's been that long. Uh, but you're not the parent. Parents, be the parent. Dads, be that spiritual leader in the home. What gets me more than anything uh, at Rossville, where I worship and work, got young people that don't want to come to church. And parents let them stay at home. I'm just going to be right down. Glenn, I'm going to cut to the bottom, bottom line right here. You think that my daddy would ever let me stay at home? 
when he's going to church? I never asked to. That's why I'm still alive today. Well, he didn't want to come to church this morning. This one young man I'm thinking about, he hadn't come to church since camp. I think that's been five weeks now since senior week. Is that right? Something like that. Hadn't been to church. And I talked to his dad two weeks ago. I said, what's the problem? Well, he doesn't want to come. Well, why doesn't he want to come? Well, he just doesn't want to come. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't get along with the youth group real well. And the problem is, just don't want to come to church. See, what we need to do, kids need to have a drug problem. I think that'll help more than anything. See, they're going to be drugged to church whether they want to come to, want to, come to church or not. That's just the way it ought to be. I'm sorry. You know, one day they may decide on their own they're not coming to church, but as long as they're living under my roof, eating my groceries, using the facilities, you're going to come to church. Uh, bring, parents, you bring them up. And here's why. When you go back and, and you read, uh, or you look back at verse number 3, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land, that it may go well with you. Folks, things won't work the way they're supposed to work unless we do things the way that God has said we're supposed to do them. And part of that means coming to church. Whether the kids want to or not. You know, if I look back, there was probably some times when I was growing up when I was a teenager that I'd rather go play basketball. I'd rather be riding a bicycle. I'd rather be going fishing. But you know, I knew that was not an option. And I think I turned out pretty good. You know, there may have been some days that I probably didn't like that. But I never asked not to go. Because I knew I better not ask not to go. Uh, different time, different age. But Glenn, I think that still works. Uh, let me get going here. I won't, we won't finish. We'll be here till midnight, T.A. Uh, again, the context that, that it may go well with you. You go back to Deuteronomy chapters 4, 5, and 6. Uh, let's... Keep your finger in Ephesians there. We'll come right back. Deuteronomy 4. Uh, Moses recounts the statutes, uh, the commandments, the rules. He says, listen to these and live these things. Uh, verse number 1, Deuteronomy chapter 4. And down at verse number 9, the last part of that, that verse, as he talks about these rules, these commandments, these statutes, he says, Make them known to your children and your children's children. Make them known. What we've got to do, folks, is teach our kids God's Word, God's law, God's commandments, God's rules. That's the first rule in child rearing, the first rule in parenting, I think. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And then he goes on, if you look down at verse 40 of chapter 4 there. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and commandments which I command you today. And here's what we just read from Ephesians. That it may go well with you and with your children after you. And that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. What are you writing, Moses? We've got to know God's word. 
We've got to know the rules. We've got to know the commandments. We've got to be able to, to live what God has given us to live out in our lives. And we'll go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 again. Fathers, don't be the source of the anger and the, and the, the wrath. Don't let your life be one of frustration, but nurture those children. Bring them up, and he says, in the discipline. Your translation may have the word nurture there. What this has reference to is the physical training. Some of the things I've just been mentioning here, you know, my dad, he said, this is the way we do things at the house. This is what you do. This is what I do. This is what your mother does. We, we got everything outlined here. This is the parameters. Those of you guys that have been to Bible camp, what do we do on Sunday night? We go over the rules, right, Marshall? You get, you get a copy of the rules. You get a copy of the, the, here's the borders. Here's the box that we live in at Bible camp. This is what we do all week long. Yeah, everybody abides by the rules. That's what this discipline is here. This is the box that we live in. Because if you don't have parameters, you know what you have? You have total chaos. Whether it's at Bible camp or whether it's at 98 Joyce Drive, Ringo, Georgia, where I live, or wherever you live. We have to have those boundaries. Uh, setting the boundaries. Uh, the idea of discipline. Nobody likes that word. It's not a bad word. doesn't have to be paddling, spanking. can be. doesn't have to be. Parents, Proverbs 13, 24 says, if you, he who spares the rod does what to his child? Spoils or hates. One translation says, hates his child. But he who loves his child disciplines his child. That, that's what the word discipline here is, is all about. It's talking about, that's the training and righteousness that we talked about earlier. This is everything that we do as we live our lives here. So we live, move, and have our very being, so to speak. Things from hygiene to rest to work, how we deal with conflicts, driving a car. By the way, this kid that doesn't want to come to church, he doesn't drive a car either. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with him? And then I thought, no, what is wrong with y'all? I, I can't relate to that. When I was 16, I was at the Tennessee Highway Patrol on my birthday getting my driver's license. You know, I, I don't get it. That's just one of those things of life. You need to know how to get from one place to another place by yourself. Eventually, you know, don't put three-year-olds in the car, you know. But uh, hygiene. Uh, I got a funny hygiene story to tell you. On Saturday, between the two weeks of camp, my 13-year-old Jackson, uh, he, he got a cup, a styrofoam cup, and he got some ice out of the cooler and out, out of the ice machine, and he put some water in the cup. And he comes sat down at the table there beside me in the dining hall, and I looked at the cup, and it was as nasty as could be. You know what dirt does when it gets wet? You know, it, it's mud on the side of that cup. And I said... Have you not washed your hands? He stopped for a minute and reflected. He said, you know, come to think about it, I don't think I washed my hands all week. <laughs> we do have hygiene at camp. I, I, 
but sometimes washing hands for boys and the hygiene, that's too, but he said, I had three showers, so, you know, I'm thinking, that's good enough, that'll work, just don't tell his grandmother, okay, or I'll be in big trouble. Uh, discipline, that's, that's teaching those things that's important. Look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews chapter 12, keep your fingers in Ephesians there, we've got to hurry to get to Genesis, don't we? The Hebrews writer says, besides this, starting at verse 9, Hebrews 12, verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we miss discipline, when we miss that physical training, we miss the most important thing that will impact our lives for all eternity, and that is we miss God's holiness. Why does God discipline us? Why does God say, here's the parameters? Because he wants us to live a holy life. Parents, our primary obligation is to teach our children, to show our children through these borders, through these, this box that we live in, God's word, to show them God's holiness. To show them who God really is. Um, discipline and instruction. The discipline is more physical. The instruction here or admonition is mental training. That is to put those thoughts into that child's mind in such a way that they stay with that child the rest of their life. To train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, what does the wise man say? He won't depart from it. Big responsibility for parents. To know how that child is made, to know what makes him tick, and to make sure that you're incorporating God's Word in that so that child can live their individual, unique lives in such a way that it not only be pleasing to you, but most importantly, it will be pleasing to God. And no matter if they veer off the path or not, they'll know the way they're supposed to go. That, that's what the instruction here is talking about. The admonition is to, literally is putting in mind. And when we talk about putting in mind, we have to talk about the positive things versus the negative things. There's going to be some negative things you put in, people, in your children's minds. It's okay. But what we have to remember is you have to have seven positives to go with that one negative. So most of our time is going to be spent with what? with positive admonitions. Uh, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Didn't Paul say something about that a little earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29? But speak only those things that are fitting for or good for edification for building up. You see, we're building up seven positives for every one negative. Putting those in our children's mind. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction or the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. What we're talking about here is to go back to Ephesians 5 verse 8. 
We're to walk as children of light. We're to be people who imitate God, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Parents, what do we look like? Who do we look like? We look like God. We imitate God with our own lives. We know about that holiness. We know the Lord's disciplines. We live our lives and, and try to live that before our children. That's God's intent. That's what we're supposed, we're supposed to do. Walking as children. It's a walk. Parenting is a walk. Bringing kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is a walk. And the best illustration I know of that walk is a guy by the name of Enoch. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians. Go to Genesis chapter 5, if you would. Try to tie a knot in our rope here. Wrap things up. Genesis chapter 5 is called by some as God's obituary column. It's kind of scary, isn't it? It's a listing of people that lived, fathered children, lived some more, and then after every name, it says, and he died. Next in line. Lived so long, fathered a child, lived some more, and he died. On and on and on it goes. And you know what that does? That proves that Satan's a liar. Have you ever thought about that? When you read this obituary column, it proves that Satan's a liar. Because you remember when God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in the garden except one tree. And when, the, and when you eat of it, you shall what? You shall surely die. And Satan comes along, Genesis chapter 3. God says that in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes along and says, Ah, says what, T.A.? You shall not surely die. God says you shall surely die, and Satan says you shall not surely die. And I read Genesis chapter 5, and guess who's the liar? And he died. Folks, we need to teach our children that we're going to live our life, and then one day, we're all going to die. It's kind of morbid, isn't it? Kids need to be taught that. Kids need to be taught that they're going to live and they're going to die. But we're not going to focus on the death here. We're going to focus on the exception. There are eight times it's listed and he died, but there's one exception that's old Enoch there. Genesis 5 verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God and he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. What stands out in that passage? A couple things. Number one, Enoch did what? He walked with God. If you need an illustration of somebody in the Bible who walked with God, who walked as a children, a child of light, I think it's old Enoch. Enoch walked with God, but he didn't die. He was not, for God took him. What made the difference in Enoch's life? Enoch lived 65 years when he had lived 65 years, he followed Methuselah. I wonder if Enoch walked with God before Methuselah was born. 
Bible doesn't say. What kind of world did Enoch live in? A lot like our world, did you know it? Go back and read Genesis chapter 4. You discover, man, you talk about progressive. I mean, they're, they're growing. Uh, there's a city. Cain's son uh, had a city named after him. I mean, this is not cavemen, okay? This is people, civilized people, living in homes, living in tents. They've got flocks, got herds. Uh, there's prosperity. They've got iron tools. You read all that in Genesis chapter 4. This is life just like we live it. Same problem, same situations. I wonder how old Enoch was living his life. I wonder if he was living the high life before Methuselah was born. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Don't really know. Don't have any clues, really. Probably he walked with God, but maybe he didn't walk with God. But when Methuselah was born, that's when it said he walked with God. Wonder if he, wonder if that little baby boy that was born impacted his life. So I remember when that 42-year-old girl of mine was born. I remember my life changed because I became more responsible. I had to grow up just a little bit. I'm a father now. What is a father supposed to do? I can be the spiritual leader in my home. I got a lot more responsibility than I did have. I think it may have impacted Methuselah a little bit. But here's... This great-grandfather of Noah, here's what's intriguing to me. It says he walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? I think it would have to be holiness. You go back and look at Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 10. There's some things that you don't do. See, to walk with God means that you're in agreement with God. Amos 3, verse 3. Two can't walk together unless they be agreed. So I think that Enoch would have agreed with God when it came to holiness. There's some things you just don't do. There's some language that you just don't speak. That's the holiness code. That's being holy just like God. Be holy for I am holy. God says, doesn't he teach us that? We need to be holy people. Uh, I think there's some things that uh, we have to agree with God, not only in the place we're going to live, that is the place of holiness, we have to agree with God when it comes to the pace of life. We're always moving forward. There's always progression with God. There's no slowing down. There's no stopping. We're moving forward. We're moving ahead. Every day's better than the day before. That is in our spiritual relationship with God. Maybe not physically, but spiritually, we're always growing. That's what God expects. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2. God's working in us. We're allowing him to work in us. We're working on ourselves. We're moving forward at a rapid pace. We're at the place of holiness with God. We're working at his pace, following him. He's leading the way. We're following. Uh, Sometimes we want to lead the way and make our own way. I also think that you have to agree uh, that Enoch was agreed with God when it came to grace. Okay, I got the pace, I got the place, but what about grace? Where is grace in this little paragraph that we just read here, those two, three verses? God's grace. Methuselah. You know why he named him Methuselah? So when he registered him at school, the teachers couldn't spell his name. No, that's not why he named him Methuselah. God told him to name him Methuselah. You know what the name Methuselah means? When he dies, it shall come. When he dies, it shall come. There's an obscure passage over in the book of Jude. 
verses 14 and 15 that talks about this prophecy that Enoch had. A prophecy that God would be coming in judgment. And we usually read that and say, well, the Lord's coming in judgment. And the Lord is coming in judgment, by the way. But when did the Lord come in judgment? In the days of Methuselah or at the end of Methuselah's day? What happens out after Genesis 5? What's the next chapter? I know this is tough, but what is it? The next chapter is what? The flood. Well, it's Genesis 6. So y'all are way ahead of me there, aren't you? The flood comes. When he dies, it shall come. You can put your pen to paper and get your math skills out, and you can figure out that in the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. God came in judgment. What in the world does all that have to do with parenting? Can you imagine if you were Enoch and every day from the day that child was born you knew that when he died that God was coming in judgment. Can you imagine that first year of life? I wonder if this is a year. Second year of life. Third year of life. 300 years. 300 years before the Lord took Enoch he had to think about, is this the year? Is this the year? Knowing that his son is going to die. Well, the Lord took him. He didn't have to face Methuselah's death. He didn't even have to face his own death. And why did Methuselah live so long anyway? Every day that Enoch looked at that child was a day that he could teach him about the grace of God. That God's not coming in judgment yet. But he's coming. The greatest thing we can teach our kids is that one day they're going to die. You want to be a good parent? You want to bring your kids up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? Teach your children that one day they're going to die and one day they're going to face God in judgment after their death. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? Why did he live 969 years? God's grace lasted for 969 years. The oldest man to ever live. Folks, God has a lot of grace. He's giving us that time to prepare ourselves for the day when we die. That little girl that was born August the 5th, 1977, the day she was born, you know what I wasn't thinking about? She's going to die. But you know what I think about now? She's going to die one day. And I need to do everything that I can do to make sure that she can end up and be like Enoch. Say, now wait just a minute. She doesn't have to face death. Remember what Jesus told Martha, John the 11th chapter? He who believes in me, even though he dies, he'll live. That's God's grace. Even if we die, we live. You believe that? See, we're a lot like Enoch as, as a parent. 
We're looking at those children and we're getting them ready for Judgment Day. Getting them ready for the day that their death will come. Uh, I don't know of anything that's more important than that in life, do you? There's nothing more important in life than death. And being ready for death. Being ready for dying. Because you see, all children will die. Man, just burst a balloon, didn't I? They will die. But they can live, even if they die. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus taught. And we're, again, we're a lot like Enoch. We're watching a life. Not just our children's lives. We're watching our lives. Will today be the day? So I've got things I'm planning on doing tomorrow. I've got things I'm planning on doing next month. I've got things I'm planning on doing next year. But I don't know that. Do you know that? My kids, I've got all these dreams for my children, my grandchildren. Is that going to happen? I, I don't know. Here's what I know will happen. One day we're all going to die. And when we die, it shall come. Are we preparing our kids? Are we bringing our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, bringing them up in such a way that when that time comes, when they stand before God in judgment, they'll realize the life that we can have through Jesus Christ. That's grace. Enoch did a good job of that. You know how I know? Because Enoch had this son named Methuselah. Methuselah had a son named Lamech. And Lamech had a son named Noah. And Genesis chapter 6 says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When God's judgment came, what happened to old Noah and his family? They got on the boat. Let me tell you what. I want to get my family on the boat. I want to get my family in Jesus Christ, the ark of salvation. That's a big job. But that's bringing up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Little boy went over to his granddaddy's house. They were just sitting around talking. Granddaddy was whittling. And little boy said, Granddaddy, you know you're a, you're a lot like God. Granddaddy stopped his whittling and he started mentally polishing his halo. Yeah, a lot like God. He said, well, what do you mean we're a lot like, I'm a lot like God? He said, uh, you're both old. You're both old. You know, I'm old and getting older every day. My daddy's old. And he's getting older every day. But you know, I hope I'm a lot like God in that I know His holiness and I understand His grace. And I'm a partaker in His grace and I'm a partaker in His, his holiness through His Son, Jesus Christ. Nothing more important than that in the whole world. 
our responsibility to children, to all children, is to let them know the grace of God and the holiness that is His in His Son, Jesus the Christ. Now, how do you do that? I'm no expert. But what you've got to do is teach them this book. What you've got to do is show them this book in your life and show them the grace of God that's available in Jesus Christ. If you're here this evening and you're not a child of His, have you begun your walk? Are you like old Enoch? Are you walking with God? How do you begin your walk? Well, faith, repentance, confession, baptism. After baptism, Paul writes Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we're raised to walk in newness of life. If you haven't done that, you need to do that this evening. Maybe you've done that as a child of His. You're not walking by the Spirit. You're walking after the flesh, Galatians 5, verse 16. You need to change your walk. You can correct that this evening. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Let's not a one of us miss out on the grace of God. Let's not a one of us miss out on the holiness that can be ours in him. If you need any assistance this evening, the opportunity is yours while we stand, while we sing.